Keeping up with friends and family, it's the Heyday Podcast with Haley and David. Hi y'all, this is the Heyday Podcast, episode 8. I'm Haley. And I'm David. And this is the second part of a two-part series on us learning Korean. Last week, we talked about our Korean language background and why we're learning Korean. So today, we'll talk a little bit more about how we're learning Korean. And we hope to share with you some tips, tricks, and resources for you to begin your own language learning journey. Hope you enjoy! Round three, how we're learning Korean. So the first question, how are you learning Korean and what does your study schedule look like? So you've seen my study schedule, actually. I have an Excel spreadsheet that's like rainbow colored. It's like my my days of the week, each week is a different color and it's like very organized and it has when my classes are, when my language exchanges are, um, what homework I do, what re- review things I need to do. And that's kind of my guide to learning Korean. So my process of learning Korean um, is something that like is very uh, exciting for me. Like I love curriculum design. That's like probably my favorite part of teaching is like curriculum design. So designing my own curriculum to teach my or to like study for myself was a really fun process. It's not perfect. It's not like it's it's not anywhere close to being done or being fine tuned, but it's something that I really have enjoyed developing. And so my study schedule is very much based off of large input and feedback output or or feedback on output. Mm-hmm. So but by, by that I mean I'm always listening to Korean podcasts. Like you know cuz I walk around with the house with my phone and I always have a Korean podcast on. So input, lots of audio input, lots of reading. Um should be more though. I don't do as much reading as I should. And then whenever I like write or whenever I speak, I make sure that when I write and speak, it's reviewed by a native speaker who gives me feedback. Whether that's my teacher, whether that's my language exchange partner, whether that's mom, you know, I'm always getting feedback on anything I produce so that I'm not making mistakes and that I'm not making, you know, bad habits because bad habits are hard to change. It's easier to spend the time up front to learn it correctly than to fix it later. So that's kind of um, my basis for learning Korean. A lot of my resources are free. The only thing I pay for are like, obviously the books that I buy. And then I also have a paid Korean teacher, a certified Korean teacher who I do class with two to three times a week. Um, But that's kind of how I'm learning Korean. Uh, And I'll talk more about the resources I use in a second, but I want to let you talk about like how you're learning and what your uh, study habits are. Mm, I would say the the primary way that I'm learning Korean is through um, working with a language exchange partner and then also independent study. One of the more recent approaches that I've taken to learning Korean is reviewing, because as you were saying, it's kind of along the similar lines of it's much easier to learn it correct the first time than to go back and correct it, or even to take the time to relearn it at a later point. And so um, now what I've been trying to do is translating documents and like listening to or, or watching Korean TV shows and then immediately trying to review so that it stays with me um or when it comes along the line later it's easier to recall um because before i had a lot of problems with the recall just because a lot of times i would see the concept once and be like oh i learned this and then later i'd be like i have no idea what this is i forgot this already so now really focusing on reviewing within a reasonable time span so that it is kind of like ingrained first time or second time my study schedule now since I've kind of finished my application process and now it's just submitting documents, now I am 
really focusing on going through self-guided curriculum uh, that kind of builds builds me up through the basics um, and trying to integrate that into kind of the prototype that I have already and improving the areas where I'm kind of weak. So again, another thing is like half of knowledge is knowing where to find it, but you also need to target your weaknesses. Um, and I think that's important with learning anything, like learning a new instrument, studying um, a, a subject at school. That's a, a really important thing to, to be able to look at your weaknesses. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned like knowing your weaknesses, especially in context of an of a instrument, because for those that don't, that don't know, uh, David has been playing guitar for a very long time and is very involved in like music and, and uh, producing and, and writing as well. So uh, that comparison works really well actually for a language because mm-hmm. it's something that you're learning to do in real time and learning to perform kind of yes. the same way that you speak a language in real time. Um, and I think that it's really important to have a mentor because you've had a lot of guitar mentors, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And um, I think a language teacher kind of serves the same purpose as like a mentor, maybe a, a mentor musician, mm-hmm. because they can really look at the whole picture of who you are as a language learner or musician. Mm-hmm. And they can tell you exactly where you're doing things wrong or where you're like weak. But sometimes, sometimes we don't want to work on our weaknesses because it's yeah. hard. Yeah. It's hard to work on your weaknesses. But you need someone there to tell you, you know, this is what you should do. This is the best method for you. This is the fast method. Because mm-hmm. like like we said earlier, learning to learn is a skill. Like knowing how to learn is a skill. But also it's a lot easier to learn that skill if someone teaches you. And so um, that's kind of like where I see my Korean teacher as not just a resource for like this grammar works like this. A equals B, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. It's more like she is able to intuit what I need to work on most and and what I need mm. to focus on. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really important. Yeah. I think for me, one of the my greatest assets in coming into learning Korean is my my music learning experience. And that's a really good comparison between like your practice time at home, where you're kind of like spending time being really intentional, but also having to learn how to translate that practice time into real time, you know, improvisation or on stage performance. Um, and that's that's a really good comparison for me because I recognize that it's like I have to be able to make this practice time or this private time functional in order for it to be of any use. Some of the biggest points of learning or biggest points of growth have stemmed from somebody outside of my normal practice schedule kind of saying to me like, hey, you should work on maybe playing with more dynamics or picking lighter and it kind of like it sucks at the mo- in the moment because you're you think to yourself i've spent all this time practicing why do i have to listen to them but then most of the time when you listen to them it comes out better um so being able to analyze your weakness and take in um, that feedback like you were saying is really really important moving on to question two what challenges have you experienced learning korean in both the u.s and korea yeah, I think it's a really important distinction because my challenges I was facing before I went to Korea and after I went to Korea are very different. I think motivation. The biggest mm-hmm. difference between studying here versus in Korea is motivation. So like before I left, I had no motivation. Um, and that was like probably a combination of like lack of motivation plus not knowing how to study led to no learning. Um, but when I was in Korea, the motivation was not a problem. Because I knew that whatever I was studying was going to be 
something that I would need like in the next five minutes, five hours, or five days. Like it was going to be something that I could immediately use and apply to improve my general life. So motivation was not a problem in Korea. I think it was more a question of exhaustion um, because just like, you know, practicing anything or working on anything or studying anything, you get tired. And not only that, when you're living in a country where you're constantly surrounded by input that you, your brain is working overtime to make sense of, you get exhausted really fast. I remember days that I would come home from school, like at 4 or 5 p.m. and I would just go straight to bed because I was just so exhausted from like listening to Korean all day or working on Korean all day that I just couldn't, I, I physically could not keep up. Um, so I would say like being overwhelmed slash physical exhaustion is the biggest and most difficult part of learning Korean in Korea, mm. um, that immersion aspect. But now that I'm back in the States, I think I'm having the same issue as before to a lesser extent where like, I know that I'm going to Korea in two months, mm. but also I know that like my time here with um, like English media and being able to do things in English and go to the store in English and like hang out with people that speak English primarily is very short and so like i get caught up in that and it has to be very intentional about setting aside time to be a hundred percent in korean because that's really important it's it's not people think like oh you can like learn another language by sitting there with your dictionary and like reading your dictionary but it's really not effective you have to be in situations where you are a hundred percent immersed even if you're a beginner and that's really the best tip to learn so that you're not translating in your head you're just thinking in a language um, and that's the challenges that I've seen so far in the U.S. and Korea. All right, moving on to question number three. What has been your favorite part of learning Korean? My favorite part of learning Korean has been the people I've met. Um, I've met some really, really interesting and cool people from a lot of different walks of life that I would never have been able to meet if I wasn't learning Korean slash didn't know Korean. Mm -hmm. And so that's been my favorite part has been developing those relationships because I sometimes have distinct memories that are associated with vocabulary. Like, for example, um, one funniest story is, like, I was texting one of my language exchange partners, and the word the word for wind is param. And so I was trying to say and describe the weather at the moment, and it was really windy outside, so I said, um, param, param piuda, param piuda. And so param piuda, like, means was what I thought meant the wind is blowing. But what it actually meant, it's like a euphemism for saying that you're cheating on your significant other. And so my my relationship partner like texted me back and was like, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And just like dead silence for a second. And I was like, what happened? Finally, my relationship partner realized what happened and she said, um, I think the correct word is like param param pulta, like to to the wind is blowing, is blowing mm -hmm. up pulta, which means you're cheating on someone. Ah. Um, and so that's been my favorite part. It's like those funny memories that I have with exchange partners, where like I just I say I'm cheating on someone instead of saying the wind is blowing. So, what about you? Yeah. Um, I'd have to say for me, kind of my my favorite and most memorable situations have been. Uh, the small victories that I've kind of come across during the learning process. Uh, different from you, but when I'm able to understand an entire sentence um, without 
needing a translation or being able to hear something in its entirety and understand what's going on uh, without needing the Korean subtitles. Those, having those moments, because to me, it shows me that I'm progressing. Um, but at the same time, kind of running into situations where I don't understand everything or my language exchange partner will have to write it out for me in English and I just don't know what's going on. Um, it's kind of that that back and forth fight between victories and then having a setback and then having to work on those weaknesses and, and progressing. Um, I think that back and forth is really, really enjoyable for me because it's kind of like problem solving, right? Uh, and I think that's a lot of different aspects of my learning process is finding, you know, a lot of satisfaction out of overcoming a problem or improving in certain ways that I feel I kind of lack in. You have improved a lot. I, I just want to say that, like, over the past few months, you know, when you actually started studying intentionally, you, you've improved so much. Like, at the beginning, I don't think you could do anything, like, literally. <laughs> and then I, yeah, now you're able to, like, make sentences and, like, communicate on like a very basic like basic level and you're able mm. to follow like the general gist of most conversations mm -hmm. um that we have like on a day-to-day -day basis so that's like a big accomplishment and is going to be really good for you when you go mm. um mm -hmm. to korea so yeah i think i think a good example of that was when our korean grandpa came over last um and he was just dropping off some food and like I told him in Korean, like, oh, I'm going to Korea next February, right? And I said I said it to him entirely in Korean. Um, and I answered most of the conversation that was going on beforehand. But I remember his reaction and he just kind of like turns to you and he's like, Does he know what he's saying? Like, is he saying it right? After I told him <laughs> that I was going to Korea. And you're like, Oh yeah, he knows he's going to Korea with me. Like I and yeah. like it was a it was a pretty funny situation because of the fact that he was just kind of confused because I don't think he's ever heard me speak in Korean other than like, hello, goodbye, thank you. Um, that was like a cool little victory moment. And then mm. kind of being grounded once again immediately after because <laughs> I get lost in the conversation. Um, but it, I think that's, it's, it, it is the moments like that for me. Um, yeah. And like you were saying, I, I, I feel as though I am improving. So that's, that is a really cool thing to happen. Moving on to question four, what are your recommendations for resources or general tips for people that are learning Korean? So first, David, why don't you like talk about like the resources that you use? Because I use all the resources that you use and then I have a couple other I want to talk about. So let's go over the ones that you talk, that you use first. All right. As far as resources for me personally, um, I, one, I have a language exchange partner and we meet on a weekly basis and kind of along the lines of what you were saying earlier, where you have a lot of input, and then whenever you have output, you have a native speaker kind of critique it and go through it um, and, and, and kind of make sure that you're doing everything right the first time around. Um, usually what will happen is I'll read through a Korean webtoon, and then I'll translate it into English, um, and then they give me feedback on whatever... I wrote about. And then also in addition to that, I'll write sentences with new grammatical concepts that I learned through that week. Um, and it might be a new conjugation or like a conjunction that I learned to use. Um, and then always having that feedback coming back to me uh, because 
our mom, like, even though we can practice with her, and even though she's like a really good resource overall, she's not really uh, as in tune with grammatical structures or being able to explain, oh, this is why this is wrong. Most of the time she'll just say, oh, it sounds awkward or it just sounds wrong. Um, so making sure that I have like feedback on what I'm creating is important for me. Uh, other resources include Talk to Me in Korean. And I know you have a point about Talk to Me in Korean and other um, English resources for Korean. And I'll let you talk about that later. But it's there's Talk to Me in Korean. And they have lots of really good beginner lessons that you can go through and kind of learn new grammatical points. Uh, very key vocabulary. It's not very um, broad. It's just usually whatever is pertinent to that lesson. Um, but it has helped me increase my input like my understanding and comprehension overall so i'm really thankful for talk to me in korean uh and then just a general tip is this is this is with any learning situation making mistakes is really important because not only does it kind of like <laughs> it grounds you and brings you back to the reality but the way our brains perceives mistakes um is a lot stronger than like positive feedback and and so when you make mistakes, a lot of times you'll have uh, a stronger memory of that word or concept um, and recall will be easier at a later point. But what about you? Kind of what resources and, and recommendations do you have? I hear your psychology major coming through there. Our mistakes have stronger impressions on us than, mm -hmm. our, than our successes yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think those are all great issues that you mentioned, especially the language exchange partner. I think having real practice with a real person is so important, even at a beginning stage, mm. because they'll be able to give you like individual feedback on like, oh, but when you say that, it sounds weird. Or when you say it like this, it'll sound more natural. Um, I will say that I tend to stray away from translation for a couple of reasons, um, which I'll discuss in a minute, but I tend to not do translations at all. Um. Talk to me in Korean is a great resource. I think that it's really good for people that are just like starting out. Their beginning lessons are very well written. Um, their advantage, one of their big advantages is that they have a large team that produces their content. Mm -hmm. And many of them are very, very qualified to write content for this kind of stuff. Um, and so they have a great team that does, that does quality lessons. Mm -hmm. The only thing is you did mention that their vocabulary is only the key vocabulary for that lesson. You definitely need a lot more vocabulary than what they give you in their lessons. Mm -hmm. um, and so like taking one of their additional vocabulary courses slash books or even getting vocabulary lists from somewhere else, you need probably four to five times as much vocabulary as they give you in the regular lessons. It's just, that's just how it works. You need a lot more vocabulary than they give you. Have I said that enough times? I think that's the fourth time I said it. Um... <laughs> Also, all their lessons are in English, and I have a bone to pick with that, which I'll talk about in a second. The top language schools slash programs in Korea to teach foreigners Korean are 100% in Korean from day one. Like literally, the first day you walk into the classroom, even if you don't speak any Korean, you can't read Hangul, you can't like, say 안녕하세요, you don't know anything, they speak to you 100% in Korean. And that has been proven to be the most effective way to get learners to not translate in their head. And what I mean by that is if I'm thinking of a sentence in my head and I'm like, okay, um, the dog is eating food. I think like, okay, dog, ke, or kangaji. And then to eat is mokta. 
and then umshik is is food. Okay, so then I need to put those in the right order, mm-hmm. and and then put it like this, and then I need to conjugate it. That so is going is like a present progressive verb. So I need to be like like moko iso, and then like it's just you're translating in your head, and you're not translating the idea. When I when you translate an idea, you feel something like there's like a like a like an image or a feeling or a, an impression in your head that doesn't go through an English filter. It just goes straight to Korean, and so to get that's what you want. That's ideally. The most native like way that you'll speak so to get to that point it's really important to have as much korean as possible and as minimal english as possible and so for a lot of learners obviously like the 100 korean route isn't really accessible because you need a very highly trained very specialized teacher to do that but still minimizing the amount of english that is in your study time is really important and even more so important when you get to the, the intermediate level or the advanced level at that point it should be 100 in korean you should be able to like read a Korean dictionary and understand the definition from a Korean context. Um, and that's probably my biggest tip for people that are learning Korean and want to get to like a certain, you know, higher level, um, past basic phrases. You really need to be like 100% uh, in Korean or minimizing your English as much as you can. I think also like setting goals. Um, I think we talked about that earlier, but setting goals is really important. And like, I don't know. What, what what do you feel about like setting goals? For me, I so whenever you kind of see like, oh, how to actually implement your New Year's resolution or how to learn something effectively, it's always setting like specific goals. Um, and as much as I, I try and do that, um, a lot of times I don't follow through with that. More so for me, it's kind of troubleshooting my learning process uh, and, and as we talked about earlier, targeting my weaknesses and then trying to tackle those um, in a way, trying to tackle my weaknesses until I feel as though they're at a level that I think it should be. So in my mind, it's kind of like a mental checklist of of small goals or, or small problems that I see with um, whatever thing I'm learning, as opposed to necessarily setting like big goals. Um, but for me personally. I would say my goal for going to Korea is knowing enough Korean to be able to go to a restaurant and order food or go to the market and be able to ask how much food or how much does this cost? Um, you know, can I get two of them? Things like that. And, and being, having a, a goal in terms of my functionality, what I'm able to do. Yeah. I think those are very good, like exact goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Putting a timeline on it can be good for some people, bad for some people. I think that's pretty much up to individual learner, um, but not to be too ambitious. I think those are like the goals that you just mentioned are very finite and very, you know, clear and simple. But I know some people that are like, I want to be fluent in this language in like three years or like two years or me. There, I will not name. There is a group of people that believe that you can be fluent in a language in three months. It's simply not possible. Um, so don't put yourself in a position where you're putting these unobtainable goals as, as something that you believe is realistic because it just leads to failure. Um, so I think a good resource for that is like plugging into the language learning community, which brings me to my next resource, um, italki. Italki is a website where I have found a lot of language exchange partners and I also take Korean lessons through the platform as well. So there's a, pl- a paid section and a free section. The free section is like the general community uh, where you can find partners, you can have your, uh, you can post your writing and have people review it and, and correct it. 
And then there's the paid portion that's um, geared towards taking private one-on-one lessons with a tutor. So I use both resources very regularly. And I think that it's uh, good to plug into the community because you can see what other people are doing and what works for other people. Um, I also have a bunch of language learning polyglot. Uh, that's the word for someone who knows three or more languages. Um, polyglot YouTubers that I follow. And I really enjoy watching them because it gives a little bit of inspiration and also gives a framework that I'm like, oh, they did that. That works for them. Maybe I can try that too. But of course it comes down to picking things that work for you. And I think for you specifically, David, um, I think that things like simple uh, step-by-step goals are something that works really well for you. Instead of like being like, oh, I want to be able to do this and this and this in three years. Being like, I want to do this and this and this this month um, is a good approach for you. Whereas for me, I like to have goals in sets of like six months to a year to three years. And that's why like I plan a lot in advance and that really works for me mm-hmm. in keeping track of this is where I want to go. This is the direction I need to take things and and planning for the future. Um, but most of all, I think that language learning needs to be enjoyable because like if you hate it, if it's a chore for you, you're not going to learn. It's it's going to be, well, you might learn, but it's going to be a painful journey. And um, language learning is a journey. And I, I really hope that you all enjoy language learning as much as I do. And, and I think as much as David does. All right, moving on to the final question. What is your favorite word or phrase in Korean? My favorite phrase in Korean is koyohan achime nara. And so that phrase in Korean means um, land of the morning calm. And it's used to refer to like Korea versus, uh, I, think it's, I think it's Japan that's referred to as land of the rising sun. Um, but, but Korea is known as the land of the morning calm. And I had this like really cool experience where I was able to take a calligraphy class in Korea and uh, we got to like to to write some of these phrases out. And I remember um, in another instance where I was able to do calligraphy at a temple stay uh, where you can go and visit like a temple and experience like what it's like there. Um, I also was able to like watch the sunrise and and you can just look out over the mountains and and you can also look o- over the coast. And you just see like a fog and it's the most peaceful thing. And that's like part of something that I really appreciate about the country is like the mountains and being able to see like the calm in the morning um, over the whole country. And so that's kind of my favorite word or phrase in Korean, I would say. What about you? Uh, Mine would have to be like combo, which is just the like Korean English word for combo, like a combo meal. Combo? Combo. Yeah, uh-huh. because I remember it must have been almost a year ago. Um, I went to like the the Korean market, and <laughs> I was looking at the menu because I was like gonna order, and I was reading it in Korean, and I was like, I know these first three words, but I don't know what that last word is. And I was really thinking about it, and I was I realized it was just it just meant combo. <laughs> it was just the same exact <laughs> word, but phonetically. Uh, translated into Korean and I was like wow that's funny I think that's pretty cool and so I don't know I think that reminds me of you know the difference between where I am now in terms of learning Korean versus even a year ago you know I think that's pretty cool but I would have to say that is one of the big things that pops out to me maybe not my favorite word or phrase but 
it does stand out to me. I think that's like really common among like English speakers that are learning Korean. Mm. It's like Konglish, right? So it's yeah. like English words that are used in Korea. Um, and then usually Konglish has like a different meaning. So like a really common one is service. Mm. It means sobisu in, in Korean. It's, 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 it's service in a Korean accent. But yeah. um, in America, it means it can mean a lot of different things. But generally, we think of like someone doing something for us, right? Like service. But in Korea, when you say service in a restaurant, it means that they're going to give you an extra little side dish or maybe an extra little mm-hmm. like snack for free. And so that's like Konglish where they take English words and change the meaning and use it for something else. So, mm-hmm. um, but like sometimes you just feel so stupid because you're sitting there and you're like sounding out the word and you're like, so be. service service service. and you're just like oh my gosh i'm such an idiot like how did i not know this word was yep i think another another good one is like sign like they say sign as Mm. in uh but in english it would mean like to sign you're signing something like signature yeah like a signature but in korea sign is an autograph like that's the word they use for an autograph so do you want a sign is like do you want an autograph um mm. that's another that's another one that comes up and i think a lot of people will know that because it's in k-dramas a lot like whenever they're talking to a celebrity mm. they're like oh do you want to sign you know that kind mm. of stuff but all I, I think talking about Congress words would be a really fun topic for a later one because i think it's something that is like really accessible for english speakers because yeah. it's you already know the word it's just learning different ways um that it's used so that's Too a really fine. really cool one yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool time. Moving on to our fun fact segment. David's fun fact. Many modern language. Hold on, let me. All right, I think it's fine the way it is. Many modern linguists consider Korean a language isolate, meaning that it has not been conclusively demonstrated that it has genealogical relationship with any other languages. That is from Prolingo.com. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, And so when they say that it's like not been demonstrated to have a genealogical relationship with other languages, it means that like there are no proto-languages that share like the same ancestry with other modern languages. So like a lot of people might think, oh, like Chinese and Korean are probably like related. And yeah, in some ways they are related because like Korean does use a lot of Chinese characters for certain words and has certain roots in it. But when linguists talk about it, they're talking about like a long, long time ago, like when these languages first descended. So like English and German have very similar roots and are like in the similar family. So that's what they're talking about. It's not meaning like, oh, they're completely isolated because like Korean, Chinese and Japanese are all to a certain extent related, which makes it very easy for like Chinese and Japanese learners to learn Korean much faster. Uh, than than we can us us English speakers over here, um, but I think it's really interesting that it's a complete isolate because those are fairly rare. They're not like super common. Some people argue that it can be part of. I believe it's the Altaic family. I think don't quote me on that. Um, which I think Japanese is in that family as well. But some people argue. Something was argued that it's part of that family. Some people are like no. But generally, I think the consensus now as of now, is that it's a language isolate, Mm -hmm. which just makes Korean that much cooler. That is very cool, yeah. 
there's so many cool things about Korean language that I could go on for hours about. Um, but I'm just kind of a nerd in that sense, I guess. Like <laughs> linguistics. Well, th- that's a, it's an interesting point that you bring up about, you know, Korean being so different from English because um, as far as I'm aware, even English doesn't belong to like romance languages. It's a completely different branch of the tree. Um, and then when you compare English to Korean, you know, when you're first starting out learning Korean and you look at like, what are the hardest languages to learn from English? And a lot of us will have like Chinese and Korean and stuff like that. Uh, but at first I was like, that doesn't really make sense. It's just a language. And as far as I can tell, it's not that difficult. But what I started to run into more and more is grammatically Korean is so different from English that it's, you have to think in a different order. There's different mechanics for even, uh, because Korean has counters. Like that's a really good example. Like Korean has counters for um, the number of people you have. Uh, there's a different counter for how many cars there are, like vehicles, um, how many animals. It's a different suffix for each and every one of those, which is something that we don't have in English. And that's just kind of across the Korean language. There's so many different mechanics. And that's one of the reasons why Korean is so difficult for English speakers to learn. There's something called the Foreign Service Institute, and they're the people that have this program um, that teaches diplomats, foreign service officers, how to speak dozens of languages. And so... They have a ranking of how long it should take you um, to learn a language to like business professional mm-hmm. level ish, um, and and if you're studying full time, and so the lowest level is like level one through five. Spanish is a level one, Korean is a level five, mm-hmm. and so Korean, Chinese, Japanese, and I think Arabic are the only ones that are level five. So it is one of the hardest languages. Uh, for English learners to take uh, to grasp. Alrighty, this has been the Heyday Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this eighth episode, the second in our two-part series on language learning. We will be dropping these podcast episodes weekly, so we will see you next time. Annyeong! This podcast and the views and opinions expressed within are the sole views and opinions of the creators and are not associated or affiliated with the Fulbright Program or the U.S. Department of State.